Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance ECOs. Welcome back to University of Adversity. Hope you guys are having a great day. Today's guest, what she specializes in is she helps people identify their cause behind emotional cravings. So basically what we talk about in this episode is we go into what is the emotional response that's causing these reactions and these cravings. There's usually something deeper rooted and it's usually something like trauma, something you went through when you were younger, whatever that may be. Well, we talk about how it's not always an easy fix by just fixing your diet or doing these other things. Sometimes you have to go deeper and that there's actually nothing wrong with you. It's just you have to kind of reprogram the way you, you do things because there's trauma. There's lots of stuff that has happened to us. So how do emotions play a role in things like nutrition, things like that? How do you identify what the problem is and why you get these emotional response and what they are? So my next guest, her name is Karen V. Ritchie. We talked for over an hour about a lot of different things, a little bit about my story, about her story. And as I continue to move on this journey of life, I start to learn more and more. And this stuff really fascinates me. How our programming from when we're young affects our behaviors now. And sometimes, even though you didn't have a lot of trauma growing up, you develop these habits that end up being things that you keep doing. And you don't know why you're doing them. And they're kind of like self, self-sabotage as well. So it's an interesting episode. Hope you guys enjoy. Sit back, relax. Karen V. Richie coming right up. Karen, we're here. It's 2020. How are you doing? I am. <laughs> Well, after all that, I am doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah. Suffering from a cold, but we'll get over it. Yeah. I, it tends to be that, that time of year, right? I mean, there's a lot of burning the candle at both ends and a lot of going to parties and not sleeping enough. It's kind of like the time of year to kind of recuperate, right? Yeah. Yeah. All the bad food. Yeah. All the undesired choices <laughs> that yeah. we would regret moving yeah. in. But, you know, also necessary because it's that time of year. And, you know, I, what I like about it was when we go, when I go through that kind of thing, I allow the enjoyment of the holiday and the bad food. And then after a while, I'm like, I don't really like this anymore. I sort of yeah. am, am craving structure, you know, n- nutrients, sleep, yep. all that kind yeah. of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. And people tend to go like, health nut hero off the bat January 1 and they want to do all of the things and you know that's not healthy because you know my career is based on emotional cravings and those emotional cravings started way before January 1 but for some reason we like to put validation on you know what I'm going to go through the holidays choosing all the things because why not which is okay you should enjoy yourself for sure Mm -hmm. and not have guilt for for your decisions that you make knowing that tomorrow is a new day and February 1 will be another new month and March 1 will be another new month. So there's no reason to, you know, put so much weight on your shoulders over that one January 1, all the changes, the reset. A lot of people I find going through Facebook or anything, some clients as well, is that they have so much pressure on their shoulders to be unstuck by January 1 from the months prior to what led them up to there. And it's, I'm like, why? Yeah. It's just another day. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know what? I, I, I like the fact that 
especially I think 2020 is a little bit more powerful than normal New Year's. I feel like it's the end of a decade. Mm-hmm. And you know what? A lot of people won't stick to their, their, their whatever there is, right? And this is what I'm excited about talking about is because a lot of people's habits are so, so far drilled into their subconscious that they don't even know why. So I want to just, before we get into all this, I want to unpack your story a little bit. Sure. Context for the audience that's listening and really explain to us how a little bit about your background. And what it was like for you growing up. Oh gosh, what age should I start at? So I have two older brothers. I'm the only daughter. I grew up in a hockey dominant family sports. Me being the only female, you kind of get stuck in going to the rink at 6 a.m. in the morning. And it's all about the boys, the boys, the boys. So I have always been a vocal independent person. Not always favorable to those around when you have your own voice. And so I felt a lot growing up kind of pushed back a little bit into the boys hockey and stuff. I had my own sports and different things, but you know, I wasn't one of the boys at that time. I had a lot of autoimmune issues and I got sick a lot at home from eczema and other various, like I felt like nature was out to kill me <laughs> pretty mm. much. Everyone is so excited about nature and going out and camping. And it, for me, my background, I got, I was left behind a lot. The sports, the, go, the going out and doing things with friends, the just having a normal type childhood, I, I got left behind a lot because I was sick all the time. Right. From that caused stress, emotional stress, emotional cravings, emotional eating, emotional, everything emotional. I, I made, a, I had such a relationship to attachment to things because I was left behind so much mm. that when I was 30, I'm 36, when I was 30, I was hospitalized for a period of time because my liver stopped, my heart stopped. I couldn't breathe. It, it, my, my, my eyes were to, totally dilated to a point where it looked like I was about to die. We found out I had an allergy to black mold, and that's when I started my career in what I do now. But as I'm working through my own career and my own clients, I'm finding so many connections and attachment and relationship with more types of emotional craving, which is not just food. It's the relationship you have to your phone or to people or to your pet or to anything that that brings you that instant gratification of needing, wanting, being available to an acceptance that we create these relationships to. And that's kind of where my life started as a young girl was these attachments to experiences and things, feeling left behind. To now I'm like, it's so nice to be free of worrying about having an attachment to something because it's just a relationship that either I can I can make it into something that it isn't, or I can let go of this emotional craving for the one and the obsessiveness that I just, I just don't need. I don't need. So you're, so basically you, you help people identify their, their cause for emotional cravings, right? So whatever that craving is, you're helping them identify that that's usually emotional based, like that goes back to some sort of some sort of trauma or abandonment or, or something like that is that and that mm-hmm. comes into like to food and to into Everything. drugs alcohol sex all that stuff is mm-hmm. all you believe it's all rooted to emotions it's all a relationship yeah we, we decide what we want to give our energy to if a person i used to have so really bad social anxiety it was because i had like trust issues with a lot of people i was bullied a lot i had all these trust issues with people and it wasn't until i decided that okay, okay, Karen, let's have a conversation with yourself. Why is it so important for you for people to like you so much? 
is because I, I was neglected. I wasn't neglected. I felt neglected because I wasn't utilizing my energy and giving it a direction for where I actually wanted it to go. I could have did so many things in that time when my brothers were at the rink. I could have asked to be involved in something, but if I hadn't, if, if I only would have directed that energy to needing and expressing myself as a young child, being taught how to, these emotional cravings to today's date for most people wouldn't ever happen. We would know that we don't need healing so much as we have all these healers, and I'm a part of a collective of healers, but our body is a 24-hour healing machine. We don't need extra healing. We need to understand what's unwanted in our own lives and let it go. So it's not something that manifests into our own issues and into our tissues and our cells because we can manifest good things in abundance, but we can also equally through mindset and how we view things in relationship and attachment manifest illnesses as well. Okay. I want to unpack a little bit more about your growing up. So just because I want to kind of figure this out for a second. So you were, you were the sister to older brothers. So obviously the family, they, they paid attention to hockey were kind of, you kind of pushed out to the side sort of thing. Now, what happened during those times? Like what, what was the thing? Because, you know, that happens to a lot of kids, right? Growing yeah. up, I know, cause I grew up in a hockey family. I was, I was the kid, but my older brother played and then, you know, I played. So I know what it's like being in the hockey family. Yeah. But what, it, what happened to you and talk us through some of the emotional stuff that you went through in that Absolutely. moment. Sure. Yes. So my oldest brother he is, he's a, he's a junkie. He's, he's a drug user. He's in and out of prison all the time. He caused a lot of drama within the household. So my middle brother and I are very close. We didn't get into trouble or any of that kind of stuff. My older brother though was always um, in the midst of like causing chaos, just gullible, causing chaos in and out of jail all the time. So you can imagine the effect it has on siblings when yeah. another one is an addict, right? You kind of go into your own little world of, of needing to be seen. So you will get into comforts of different sorts, whether it be, I never had any, I never had any addictions of any sort. However, because I saw my brother's addictions, I was like, no effing way is that going to come into my life? But it affects you on a mental psychological level to be around that environment. My parents were good parents. They, they, they're still together. They never were involved in anything illegal or drug wise, but there's just one person in the family can really kind of like the the wolf in the hen house, you know, can take it down. And that's what I felt. I felt lost. I felt misguided. I felt neglected. I felt hurt. I felt unheard. All these things that I had authority issues in my adult, early adult life because of that, because I felt whatever adults can listen to me. They just know everything, right? Just brush it under the carpet. Don't hear the child. And so that created all of this, I guess, today. I used to want to be an addictions counselor because of my brother. And in a way, I guess I kind of am because I help people with their neediness and attachment to things that aren't necessarily theirs, but they're holding on to because they're creating a meaning for something, but maybe there isn't one. Maybe you just got to let that go and move on because you have choice. Yeah. Did you deal with a lot of, a lot of fighting and a lot of like loud oh back and forth? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that very- one, that's very emotional too, growing up. Right. Yeah. And you know, I was, I grew up with, you know, my family loved me very much, but there was so much fighting. Oh, it's hard. It was just like, that's all I knew growing up was that two people fight, you know? And yeah. for me, relationships were always like, it's not, it, that's normal. And if things mm-hmm. were too quiet around the house and people were getting along, it was like, 
this, when, when's the fight going to come? And it's like, you get addicted to that craziness, mm-hmm. yeah. right? You get addicted to that. It's almost like a rush of adrenaline that we, that, and, and that comes, a lot of people don't realize that that later on comes from being addicted to that fighting of your family too, that you want that in your own relationship. So you create craziness. Yeah. It's in your blood almost. Yeah. I, I was in a relationship. I am in one now, but prior to that one, my ex was the same exact person that my oldest brother was except the criminal side of it. And I didn't see that the personality of him, all of the things because I didn't get that attention. And I was like, that relationship ended on a good note. However, I was like, holy shit. After nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fuck, okay. Like, I gotta, shit, whatever. Shit, you everything, know, <laughs> everything is, is, yeah. Same uh, it's a release. <laughs> I got stuck in the like, Oh, well, you're so familiar to me, but I couldn't figure out why. And once I figured out why, I was like, holy shit, you need to get the F out now. Get out now. You're lazy. You have no ambition. You think the world owes you just because you exist. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty much when I found my voice. Like, mm-mm, I need to educate women and men and anyone who has these relationship issues based off of an emotional craving. And all everybody always says, it's nutrition, it's food. Yeah, I have my nutrition background. Yeah, I have my functional medicine background. But it's more than that. Like, I can't help you if you don't understand what the heck is going on from past. You don't have to sit there forever. We can acknowledge it and then keep where you're currently at so we can, like, move forward. Not just mm. live as if or fake it till you make it. Because you can fake it till you make it all you want. But it's going to get caught on that you're fake. And then you're back to square one. Like, what happened? Yeah. I'm going to address my emotional cravings. I, didn't, I don't know why I'm in this abusive relationship. Well, because your parents were probably in an abusive relationship. Or friends you're always around. It's what you became to know. Thought it was right. normal. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm going to get into this whole this whole thing more. I just want to know exactly when you realized that this was the thing, like that it was the emotions, because that's a lot of self awareness that most won't ever have in their life, right? Yeah. They don't realize that the thing that's making them do the thing comes from the thing from years ago, right? And the thing, the thing, all the things. That's the that's the thing. And that we get caught in the loop. And I'm actually reading a book called Atomic Habits right now, which is really Mm. interesting, which talks about the different things that happen, triggers and all that. But what for you that when you okay, what was it that made you realize though that holy shit, like this is this is it? Was it was it a book? Was it was it actually your relationship like how did you unpack all that or was it a combination of your education to think like okay food does this and like what was how did you have the realization that this was what was happening and that you were like that's what i have to i have to figure out and practice now that is an amazing question and it's going to be a long answer so (laughs) get your tea ready i there isn't a definitive answer for that because it's a building block of situations that you have these little realizations where people say, oh, you were awakened or whatever you want to call it. I had a lot of awakenings, I guess, in that sense, because if I'm going to put it down to anything, it was, I used to work in the hotel industry. I was there for 14 years. I did banquet management and a bunch of other stuff, working with people, like face-to-face contact people 24-7 almost, it felt like. Yeah. Six days a week, 18 hours a week, right? You're on call for the people and you get to realize people. 
how they interact with you, how they talk to you, their demeanors, if they have PTSD, call on real quick. We did a program called Thought Patterns in, in the hotel industry. And I think that there started me to realize, oh my God, the way I react to people is because I'm letting people get the best of me. And my thought process was like, again, the authority thing was like, you know, I am the person behind the pill, the desk, the person in charge. I am the authority. How dare you tell me how things should be? Once I realized my thought pattern was so righteous and egotistical, uh, I decided like, that's a shitty way to live. Why do you, why do you want that? Why do you need to be in control? Why do you need to have the sort of last word on things and the answer all the time? Because I was never heard as a child. I felt pushed away. Now I was in a position to get that once I understood that, I was like, oh my gosh, Karen, there's so much of you, you need to like, just shut up and just listen maybe a little bit, not just to people, but to yourself and, and, and slow down when you talk and listen to the words before, as they're coming out. I used to just spit things off without thinking that there could be ever a repercussion. And then how did that make me feel, you know, to just let someone have it in that moment? Instant gratification felt like shit after. Why did I need to, to go off like that on people? Because I wasn't heard. I didn't feel heard. I felt neglected. I didn't feel like I had a voice. Feel as an attack at you sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Like attack. criticism for me for constructiveness was like, how the fuck dare you? Yeah. How dare you push me down? That's you. That's not me. And it's mirroring. Mm-hmm. And, and I came to the point and the conclusion after I took that little course that they gave to us and I saw how my thought patterns work that no, Karen, it's you. You are the one who's projecting internally what you think someone's saying because you're not listening to the overall thing and you're too focused on the outworldly stuff quit it quit focusing on all that outworldly stuff focus on within and let it go like move past that shit maneuver around it what doesn't belong to you and just let it go that i think was one of the most pivotal points the second one was that relationship seeing myself in that relationship he was a narcissistic person who made you feel crazy you would go through all these great lengths to please this person and i'm like that's not you. Why are you doing it for this person? This guy abandoned me in Montreal where I didn't speak French or anything when we first got together and I was left on my own. (laughs) And I'm like, who does that? And I still took him back because I felt like, oh, I had to please this person. That was my end goal was to please a person who didn't want me Mm. because I felt unwanted as a child. Hmm. Yeah. Now I don't give a shit. (laughs) I don't mind. I changed, I changed my thinking to, I don't care to, I don't mind. My yeah. mind doesn't mind about whether you come or go. I don't mind. It doesn't affect me really at all. Right. I'm attached, attached to the point where I can't live without. Go, go be you. Go do your thing. Go do whatever you need to do. These emotional cravings are no longer mine to keep inside of me. I can understand them and look at them and understand why they're there and why they came in the first place. And why am I even paying attention to that? What purpose is it serving me? Yeah. Do I need it? No, not likely. Hold on to the good and let go of the bad. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, talking about working in the hotels and hospitality industry, I did the same. You know, I've worked oh. in there for years, you know, from all, ever worked in every single environment, cocktail bars, hotels, <laughs> pubs, casinos, you know, nightclubs. And it's the ultimate test of patience. It's the oh. ultimate test of... <sighs> There's so much shit that goes on in that environment that people don't understand. If you, I wish someone would write a book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there. You learn so much about yourself and what you can tolerate and what your 
but I, when I was working, this has been what over two years now since I've been out of the industry. And what you learn though, is it's crazy how certain days, certain people's behaviors will affect you differently. And you'll take what they're saying in a way that you'll take it personal sometimes, but then sometimes it won't matter. And it all comes down to how you feel that day. You know, like if you're having one of those emotional days, no matter what anybody says, you're going to take whatever they say and it's going to be personal. It's going to go mm -hmm. back and just go, well, and somewhere back there in your brain, somebody, when you're a, they're a kid made you feel like that and somebody triggered you that reminded you of that and you go back to that place, right? But then mm -hmm. some days if you're, you know, you're feeling good, you're on top of it, it just it rolls off you. Oh, yeah. You know? And that's yeah. like that with anything though. That's like that with anything I've realized. And that's why meditation for me has helped because it's got allowed me to step back a bit and to observe what somebody's saying instead of just jumping on them right away. Like I would have, like you just said, like sometimes people say something, it's like, well, what fuck you? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? You're, what, what, like write a personal tag. And then some, now I'm like, ah, oh, huh. Okay. You have to be able to understand that that's a different human being with a different perspective of life yeah. with yeah. a different journey, with a different background they're saying something and what they're saying reflects what they have gone through mm -hmm. has nothing to do with what you have or what you are as a person. No, not at all. Let no. it go. And yeah. it's their own set of things and loops that they're in for the reason that they're saying it. So when you can step back and look at people like that and actually be like, huh, wow, they're, that's, they're Ooh, hurting. God, that's they're, not mine. They're hurting. Yeah. Like, that's where they deal with it. Oh man, that hate. Whew, I'm glad I'm not, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that is not mine. I, I become so good even to family members saying, I know my mom could be a bit of a control freak and I used to be one as well, especially mm. working in hotel. Like everything is so like, yeah. you know, if you're banquet, it's like, and you're doing yeah. that for 14 years, like that's your life. You're a planner. You like got to be here at this time, everything. And if it's not, it's like, oh my God, like chaos. No. What do you do? Because it's, you know, it's ingrained in you. My mom is like that not in the hotel industry it's just her personality mm. but she is a, a child of seven so you know they fight for attention too i got that from her you know the fight for attention type thing i noticed that i am the only one in my family now to this date who's able to say mom this mood that you're in does not belong to me you need to figure out what is happening in that i love you but figure it out it's not mine don't bring it to me yeah take it back Take your energy back. It's not mine. And look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, it's not mine. When you tell someone, hey, this isn't mine. This is yours. It's like they, they, they drop their wallet. Oh, is this your wallet? Take it back. Yeah. There's nothing good in there for me. They calm down and they walk away. They mm -hmm. have nothing left to say. What could they say for that? And that was a pivotal moment for me as well. Working in the industry was one day, this bell person was doing her rounds. I worked at the Hilton in Saskatoon. And, and she was doing her rounds. And there was an escort in a room. and Whoever was in there with her wasn't a good person. They were both into some stuff. He was beating her, and the bell person thought they were role playing. And I'm like, what? I don't think that she's from Germany. I was like, I don't think it happens but like that here. I've never seen it in my 14 years. This oh type of like intense role play, right? I'm like, oh. let me go up with you. We go up, and he's beating the crap out of her. Jesus. Right? How is easy would it be for a person at a front desk or wherever? You're getting thrown into that stuff. And it's exhausting. And you have oh. to be able to be like, yeah. okay, what I do know. I do next? This is not mine. I can't get all ah, and freak out and, and be loud and be so strategic. Strategic. The police came eventually. Mm. The man was full of blood when he came out of the elevator and the police just missed him. There's three elevators. He came out of one. The cops went into the other one. 
just bypassing each other. Eventually they were both arrested because he was so strung out that he didn't know where the front door was, which was right in front of him. And so he sat there and he was arrested. But my whole point about this is that the escort has such an emotional craving to the need and money and sex. He had an emotional craving to control. I had an emotional craving to having to control the situation. And emotional cravings are not always a bad thing because because of my ability to control a situation, we were able to execute that in such a calm manner with all the rest of the staff. It's not really a skill you can learn or that you can be taught. You have to find that within. How are you going to react? Yeah. How, okay. How do you, how, okay. I'm just going to try and I want to make this kind of simple for people to understand. Just how, how do you identify that, emo, that there's an emotion that is deep rooted that is attached to a behavior? So easy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So walk a- us through an example. Like let's, let's first of all, talk about, let's talk about food, okay. nutrition. Let's, yeah. let's, can you give us an example? Yes. Love to. Okay. Let's, can I use you for an example? Of course. Can I do like a analyzation? Yeah, on, on absolutely. Something? Okay. Uh, let's go back to the hotel because we both understand the hotel industry. Okay. What was your position at the hotel? I was in the bars. So the bar bars. manager, bartender. I started out in room service many years ago. Right. Okay. And how many of good days did you have versus bad days? That depended on, on, I would say most days were good, but that depended on how much, how much I got to drink in the evenings, probably. Mm, Okay. Let's go go to the, okay, perfect. I worked in the, in, in the party, the party industry, right? Like the the bars we we were in, especially in Australia. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. I, I did enjoy my job, but I worked a ton and mm-hmm. it was very exhausting. Right. Perfect. So yeah. when you went home, you didn't go home after work. You went out and partied after work, right? We, went, like, we drank quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in your mindset, would you say it's true that because you're, you're, you're having fun where you were at, but it was such a stressful time because you're working so long, hard hours, you're on your feet, you're, you're constantly interacting with people right? Yeah. Isn't it interesting that you're doing that now today? That's your interaction with people is that has you here now. Yeah. But you're different than the now because then for your calming down, your craving was, I cannot wait to have a beer at the end of this. We're going to go party guys. The yeah. emotional craving for, for your own attention and settling down and anxiety. Maybe do you have an issue? Do have you ever had experiences with anxieties? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. When you drink to numb, yeah. Or drink to parties saying it's like, oh, I'm so good. Like, it's such a good day. Let's go for, I can't wait for a cold on the patio or whatnot. You're self-numbing, which is self-harm. Mm-hmm. People think of self-harm only as cutting or abuse of different kinds. I had a roommate once who hit her head against the wall. For, I don't know what was going on there. But long let's move forward back yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah. Focus. Self-harm is a form of treating an emotional craving. You had anxieties and stress from your job, the way to soothe that was through numb through alcohol and partying to forget the day. If yeah. you weren't in that mindset, you would have gone home and been like, no, I'm like, I'm tired tonight. I'm assuming that you didn't ever stop. I did. Well, I had anxiety that I didn't realize I had growing up and my mom had it. And it was from, I think from a lot of fighting in my household. And there's a lot of shit that went on for me as a mm-hmm. teen that we can, we can discuss it when, you know, whenever, but it was, I had a really fucked up teen situation yeah. and I had a lot of anxiety, um, but I didn't know it was anxiety until later. Yeah. I didn't know what this thing was until I, 
I partied a lot. I experimented with a lot of like party drugs when I was 20. And then I didn't get an anxiety attack until I smoked weed one time. And then I was like, what is this? And then I started to identify what it was. And then I realized that this whole thing was what anxiety is called. And then when I, during that time, I was actually, I started drinking a lot. And I realized now in hindsight, I was drinking for many years to cover up that. And what allowed me to work in the bar industry allowed me to to live that life, Mm -hmm. normalize it, that I could... You, I could I could numb my addiction or my anxiety through booze, which you're talking about now. That's a loud environment. It, it stops you from thinking and feeling. Exactly. I took I did, I did go off booze for a year in 2017. That's how I got out of the bar industry because it completely shifted my mind. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be there anymore. Started yeah. drinking again in 2018. Started, went off, ni- 2019 went off for nine months and started drinking again for the last bit of the year. Yeah. So that's kind of the, been the, the loop from my drinking. It has always been an issue. Yep. Yeah. And so if you look back and say, I mean, a normal person is not, if you're not a normal person, let me scratch that off. That didn't happen. Edit that up. <laughs> but a normal person at a job who's f- normally fulfilling in their job, their job is normally something they really enjoy. Yeah. Are they going to go home? Are they going to go home and, and, and drink beer and pizza or not even eat at all and just drink? Or are they going to go and be like, I'm going to go to the gym tonight. I can't wait. I'm going to go have the salad, cob salad, whatever it is, the chicken, whatever mm-hmm. their diet sounds like. Good day, good food, good, good life, easier choices. Yeah. Bad day, bad food, bad choices. Everything sucks. Why me? Holy shit. I hate my life. Mm. If you're a person who has anxiety, you crave crunchier foods, whether it's vegetable or not. It's a crunchier style. It's sides. You it was loud music and bar scene. Maybe not so much food, but the alcohol was numbing. The sound was numbing. You didn't have to think. And if you choose food, it's going to be crunchy, maybe wings or something like that. And the sound of the crunch wipes out thought, and it's the same reaction, whether it's noise, people crave music for to feel something, or they'll play loud music to zone out and feel nothing at all, right? It goes either way. It can, the cravings can be celebrated, and they can also be undesired and cause habits that aren't really needed in life or wanted in life. But if we don't understand what that is, like a person who craves love or sex a lot or, or anything like that, they usually have like a sweet, a really, really sweet tooth or crave creamy kind of foods, the ice mm. cream, pastas, things of that nature, higher carb foods, because it's instant. You get the dopamine fix. Everything's instantaneous for you. And then like a cocaine addict, you're crash down. Life sucks again. Where can I get more? Can I get more? Can I get more? I need more. I need more. Yeah, I was in that rut too. I was doing all that stuff. So Does any of that relate to you? Yeah. I mean, I didn't really know what the fuck I was doing while I was doing it, to be honest. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the feeling of socializing and partying and I, you know, working in a bar and working and earning it. And and I loved it. I loved it, but I hated feeling like shit. Yep. Right. If I could live in an environment and not harm my body and my mind, then I would, I'd love it. But there's consequences, right? And now that I've peeled, I've done a lot of inner work and now I look back in hindsight and I go, huh, okay. There's a little bit more to it than that. And yeah. I know that it's deep rooted stuff, emotional trauma that caused me to do that because I could escape from having to face the shit that I needed to face at the time. And now yeah. it's just become this thing, right? Mm-hmm. But what I'm interested in as well is like, okay, now I've, there's certain degrees as well, right? Of people's addiction or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. 
I want to be careful with the word addiction because I feel like it gets loosely used. Yep. And I don't know, maybe you can you chime in on this as well, but like, I don't, the word addiction just feels like you're, you're in so deep, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily fair to say that there's different levels though, or would it all be considered an addiction or would you like, how would you group that word? First of all, say there's different, like, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just kind of okay. want to like no, go ahead. question a little bit better. Like, you know, there's some people that do these subtle things in their lives. They still get everything done. Everything is good but it's not as good as it could be because of that little subtle thing. But then there's some people on the other side that are completely ruined their fucking lives because they've completely gone off the deep end. And there's that spectrum, right? Now, would you say the deeper, this may be an obvious question. I don't know, but the deeper rooted it goes, the more, the deeper the trauma, or is that just, or does the, or can minor trauma eventually develop, into something deeper, you know, does it have to start out? Because myself, like I w- I didn't have like direct, like crazy ass trauma growing up. I wasn't abused or anything, but some of my actions that I show later would, would speak differently because I, how much I partied and punished my body, but I felt like I developed that over, over the years. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. What, do you, what would you say about that? Like, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. So it's very individual. Yeah. It can be functioning alcoholics, functioning whatever type of addict, we'll say. But it's very individual. It's very individual because everyone has a very individual experience. Also, we came into this world as one individual, unless you were like a conjoined twin. You still get separated at that point in time. We have all separate. Everything's individual. We group too much, too many things together and call it one, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have... If you have a, a, a alcohol addiction or alcoholism, or maybe you don't, maybe you're just social drinker and you enjoy the funness of being with your friends. Is that considered an addiction or not? Maybe you just really like being a social butterfly. Maybe that's how you grow as a person. Maybe that's your thing. You worked in a hotel in the bar and now you're doing podcasts. Yeah. Right? It's, it's relative. Who's just you're not partying right now, but you're still getting the same kick from it, right? It's yeah. just the your context of it. Mm-hmm. And you're going differently. You have to go through what you went through and you got out of what you went through Yeah. at the same time while still maybe kind of um, ebbing and flowing through what you haven't yet dealt with. Yeah. But I like to call addiction sometimes an anxiety because it scares us to have this energy and we don't have information to give to that energy to move out of us and into something else. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah. Oh, you mean... So instead of, okay, maybe I just got something pop into my head that I heard yeah. before and I thought maybe it's the same. Instead of focusing on not doing that thing, replace it with a better habit, replace it with something else. Is that what you meant? You can. I mean, like, that like, can do that as well. Like you can do something, something new for five minutes yeah. and replace it. Or you can just sit and understand why do I actually want this joint right now or this drink? If I have this drink, how will it better my life? Yeah. If I don't have this drink, how will it not better my life? Why do I need this thing? Yeah. Is it an anxiety to numb? Because people don't like feeling anxiety. People who are have anxiety are very antisocial, mostly. Situations, big crowds kind of freak them out because they might have to talk to somebody. Panic attacks happen because of anxiety. Children who are diagnosed with ADD or ADHD 
they have a ball of energy inside of them, it's not being directed in the right way, right? So does it need medicated? Do you need treatment? Maybe you just need to be taught how to understand yourself and know that there's nothing wrong with you. You're just going through something and you haven't been given the right information to work through it properly because addictions typically start when someone is told, in my case, with my brother in hockey, you know, there he didn't feel enough in his right because my other brother was a little bit better of a hockey player than he was so he was favored a bit more i feel and that led my brother to seeking out other ways of being fed that same want Mm -hmm. and so that addiction became a thing that if he could get the thing for the people people will like him if Mm -hmm. he could do the right things by the people people will like him at any single cost right he chose self-validation he needed that validation and I feel self-validation is the biggest addiction, if we're going to use that word, out of anything in the whole whole dictionary, the whole world. Validation, people crave that. Like <laughs> Social media is like the fucking, oh. the, the, the absolute, oh man. That, that itself has created that beast. Yeah. That some people didn't even realize that they had. Oh. That? <laughs> right, right. If they don't get a like or a heart or whatever, even an angry face. So like, I don't know. People don't agree with me. Question my whole life on that one thing, the validation and the need, oh, the need to, to not be stuck. I'm like, what are you stuck on though? Pause. So how does somebody identify though that what it is, is is an issue? How do they know? If it's a consistent habit, we talk about karma all the time in the spirituality era and this new age of coming and healing. We talk about karma. Karma comes up a lot in, in readings and different things. Karma is a ha- karma, sorry, is a habit. It's the thing you keep repeating over and over and over and over again. If bad shit's happening to you, maybe take a minute to like have a nap or something and wake up from that nap and figure out what did I do today that made the same result happen again? That is my karma. You can create good karma. Switch it up a little bit. Maybe don't do that thing. See what happens. Will you die? No, mm. you won't. You might feel better. Maybe a little bit confused at first of what's going on. This new revelation. Oh my God, I didn't actually need this thing because I, I have been so happy focusing on other things. But if we focus on something to replace another like addiction or habit, then that becomes the addiction. That becomes the addiction. That's just your personality is that you need so much because no one's ever, no one in school were you ever taught self-love. Did they uh, talk about it I would have said, I would have just laughed because that yeah. was the conditioning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sex ed, they don't, they don't teach about what that energy is. They don't teach about no, these things. No now. idea. They have not no. a, not but a. But the teachers, it's not even the teacher's fault because the God. curriculum doesn't fucking know anyways. That's right. The government doesn't. The people that are running the whole program don't know. No, they don't. Like, so, you know, it's, you're, you're, it's the blind leading the blind. And that's yeah. just what we're dealing with now, right? Back this school system, right? Yeah. Teaching us useless shit. And then when you get out of school, you're like, oh, fuck, what, what is all this stuff? Yeah. Like, I don't know how money works. I don't know how I work. I don't know why I'm being told to do this when I don't want to do this. It's mm-hmm. like, what is going on here? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And maybe that's where addiction started. Yeah. Because yeah. this new thing feels so good. And it's so new and refreshing. It's not the old sitting in the desk being lectured and being told to read a book that's like 100 years old that has no relevance to today or history you're ever going to really go for afterwards or unless you work in a museum or a library or something. Unless it's that, this new stuff outside of it's like like a, an in-captive animal seeing the wildlife for the first time again. Wow, what do I do? It's so scary at first going on your own and finding all these new things. 
And then once you enjoy it, you're like, holy shit, what else is there? I need more. Mm. Feed my addiction. Feed my ego. Feed my validation. How many of us, uh, you don't, I know on yours, you, you share your podcast, your Facebook is very particular in, in how you, you work it. Me? Oh, knowledge. Let me give you all the knowledge. I am so addicted to giving information. Let me give it all to you. Give it all to you. Bobby Parahar, the numerology for me once said, you know what, Karen, people would come to see you like a Buddha just to hear you speak to get all of the free information. And I was like, I know because my inbox fills up like nonstop with people asking me the most ridiculous questions about random different things because of the knowledge I freely give out, which I'm totally okay with and comfortable with because I like that. Yeah. But it's an addiction almost to me, right? Like I have the information, come talk to me. I want you to, I want you to learn. My addiction to help people is to let them figure the shit out for themselves after they've read what I've read, after they had a session with me. I'm not going to give you all the answers. That's for you to find out. Let's well, give you the fundamentals. Yeah, that's the thing is that every, you're only, this is the thing that people don't understand about the, the entire thing about coaches or whatever. Nobody's physically giving you anything. Yeah. They're only allowed, they're, they're, they're giving you the realization, the tools so that you can access what you already have. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, I mean, there's, there's the fundamentals that somebody will give you. Of course, you know, you go to like, I went to Tony Robbins. It's unleash the power within. He's not physically going up to me and doing anything. He's just allowing us to pull the shit out ourselves to release whatever needs to be released. And yeah. this is what people think. It's like, Oh, I'm not, you didn't give me anything. You didn't, you, the coach didn't help. Didn't do this. It's like, well, no, you have to work at it yourself. Yes. They're they They, they have practice that they give you. And then you take and you apply it. Yeah. That's the way it is. Yes. It's not like you push a button and someone's like, this is the magic pill. There's no index. There's no index. You know, there's no answer key to anything. If if you want to make your life work for you and get past whatever it is you're working through. Yeah. Just shut up. Yeah. Stop talking so much. Mm -hmm. Start listening more and being open. Just be open. Did you know that your gut has 20,000 neurons in it, which is the same as a cat or a dog brain? And when we feel anxiety or depression or sadness, it comes from our gut. Anything you're thinking right now, any thought you're thinking of, it's not up here. It's coming down here in your gut. Mm -hmm. And that connects to your heart link. And those are the chemicals that people talk about when they need medications for things that are unbalanced. If we learn to understand that gut feeling, that craving of what it wants and talk to it and listen to it and let it just heal and do its thing there would be way less disease in the world there'd be way less confusion there would be way less questioning mm. because everyone questions outworld mostly this thing happened it now affects me internally why well why did it need to it all starts from within everything and those those neurons are going to tell you a whole lot about your health your nutrition how long your hair grows how long your lifespan is all of the things your addictions cravings all of that we need to nourish that gut with letting it do its thing and removing the digest. Like you digest your thoughts, your feelings, all of the information that comes when we digest that. When mm-hmm. we say food for thought, we're digesting that. I need to digest that for a minute. Okay, cool. You're using your tummy again for that information. Those neurons in there are there for a reason. It's your actual brain. And the one up top is good for giving information and direction. Mm-hmm. Without your brain, you couldn't move your hand. Without your stomach and the neurons within that gut brain, you couldn't use your feelings or understand what they're for. But we think too much up top. That's why people have addiction. That's why people seek validation so much is because they're not utilizing their true feeling in their gut 
and that instinct to maneuver them where they need to go. There would be less questions. You would actually understand what your body's saying to you and the feelings it wants to tell you is always having a conversation. How do people, how do they reprogram their subconscious then? Like what are some things that you tell people or help people with? There's only uh, that- one conscious. There's one. And we put it in compartments. Yeah. We put it in the sub, we put it in the forward, we put it in the left, right, center. We decide where our conscious wants to go. But there's only ever one. Like I said at the middle of this conversation, you are an individual born into this world as one, right? You have one of everything other than your hands and your your toes and your feet and the nostrils and things of that nature. But you only have one of you, but you have one conscious. You have to know whether or not that main first thought that you're having over anything is where is that coming from? Did it come from your gut? Did you actually put effort into thinking that thought? Or was it just a civil moment? Was it a download maybe from something that you got inspired by? Awesome. That also came from your gut, came to your heart. And you're like, I know what it is now. I'm ready for that information. You have one conscious. That's it. Yeah. But how do you, how do you, this is the thing though. There's a lot of people don't know the trauma that they have, right? Some people don't recall it. So how do you, that's stored. How do you access that? How do you know that your programming is messed up though? Like, how do you, there's influence around you. I mean, in my career, everybody thinks something's wrong with them. Every single person that I work with thinks they are this messed up, broken, so much baggage in them because they live too much in the past. They take that with them. So to find out if there's a trauma, I want to know why you think there's a trauma, what actually happened and why are you validating something that happened into a trauma when it might not be, but you put so much validation that it, that's yours, right? That's your relationship to that thing. You made it into something that mm-hmm. probably might not have been that big. I'm not going to take your feelings and valid, like away from you, but I want to know why is it such a big deal to you? Why? And I want to know if you have two questions for me, <laughs> I want to know the one that really, really, really is important to you because, because if you ask me the first one, that's really not important to you. You're going to be lingering. You're not even listening to anything I'm saying. You're going to go to the second question. I want to know that. Mm-hmm. I want to know the answers to that. Why is it such a big deal? Most mm-hmm. people say, well, I don't know. Well, then it can't be a trauma if you can't tell me why it is, or if you're blocking it, it's because you are going through all these categories of consciousness trying to find the right answer, typically to have approval of something, which was probably lacking in back then. So maybe the trauma isn't the thing that happened. Maybe it's the fact that it was an approval issue. If it's a subconscious issue, if it's something um, mental, if it's like a rape or something like that, I mean, that's something totally different, right? So there's different individual categories of how you diagnose a a trauma and what Mm -hmm. you need to do with it moving forward still equals to that feeling in your gut and what you want it to be for you and what you're attaching to it. Yeah, no, I just, I'm trying to just kind of, I'm going, I'm kind of going deep with this because this is a very complicated system. There's, there's a lot of people that do plant medicine that go do ayahuasca that don't realize what has actually happened in the past because of the the loss of memory. And Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people walking around that don't know why they do the things they do. And, and it's, it's, it's more complicated than just going. Some people don't, some people, just from experience that I working in these bars, they don't fucking know if it's their gut or their brain or what. They're so lost. So this is what I mean is like, 
you know, people that have peeled back the layers like ourselves, we kind of understand in hindsight what's going on, but I wouldn't have before. But what I'm trying to get at is like, how do people that haven't done the work, how do they start to really just start to peel back the layers, right? With, you know, because they're, everyone's at a different level of their journey, right? So how do they even, you know, what are some things that they can do on their own to sort of assess and maybe start to work towards? Like, do you have any tips, like as far as, you know, practicing different things that have worked for you or your clients? Like maybe walk us through some of that. They have to want to. Yeah. They have to want to understand themselves. They have to want to be open to the possibility that there's nothing wrong with them, Mm -hmm. that something might have happened to them, but that's not who they are. Some people take something from past and bring it into their life to today because they think that's exactly who they are because maybe they have a parent in their home or or peers who always call them a loser like you're a loser you're a loser you're a loser subconsciously or in that one conscious that they put it in the back that lingers with them it's like a shadow Mm. i am a loser i can't that's the first thing they think i'm a loser i can't they have to want to be able to get past that well it's about one what do you want and how many people are actually asked what do you want what do you want why are you here? Mm-hmm. What do you want from me? How am I supposed to help you? So mm-hmm. the piece of advice that I can only give is you have to want it enough to have yourself make a difference in your life. And all the other people around you are there for the support. And you have to understand that those people are there only for support, not to fix your life. So you have to want to be able to be open enough to receive whatever it is that's coming for you. It might you- be easy and it might be messy. Would you say that the people that are more gravitated towards these, these sabotaging habits or whatever they do is the people that don't have a structure or plan in their life, like don't have a, a bigger why? Like, do you find that people that have like an actual why that they revisit and they, free? because at the end of the day, we all, everybody has a why of some sort and some have one that's deeper than others. And sometimes we need to revisit the reason we're here, like we all get caught up in the shit. We're like, why am I doing this again? And then if you can realize it, I just talked about this with Dean Graziosi is like, he's like, there's, there's like eight layers deep. You're why? Like, Oh yeah. You know, why do you do this? Why do it for this? Yeah. But why do you do it because of that? Then you go deeper and you yeah. go deeper each why. And then that's where people get emotional and they go, Oh fuck, I'm doing this because of this that happened. And I think a lot of this is that, people just haven't gone deep enough with their why, you know? So do you find that to be, because if if people know the potential of what they want to do and the impact it could do, it's worth more than that stupid fucking habit that they're doing. Right. Yeah. So do you notice the similarity in that? Yeah. A lot of my clients are entrepreneurs seeking not only like business help, but we call it their health credit because it's all about, you know, if you're willing to, sacrifice and put time into <laughs> correcting your credit score if it's shit then you should be doing the same with your health and correcting that so what's your rock bottom yeah. what is it going to take for you to see that you're worth so much more you know i i can motivate the shit out of someone if they want it but whatever they do with that afterwards out of my hands yeah you know i think i can go to an amazing seminar of some sort and be like wow my fire's lit like let's do this and go home and be totally confused about what the next step is yeah. I think sometimes people don't know their purpose or what to do because they're so caught up in a feeling that mm. someone gave them that they could never possibly give back to themselves. Mm, so, 
we're entertainers in the end of the day, I'm an entertainer. At the end of the day, I help people, but also I entertain people because some of them are coming to me for validation. Some of them are coming to me because they need actual real help. But at the end of the day, like you in the bar at the hotel, we're on a stage and we're entertainers mm-hmm. and we have an influence in that. And they too have to understand that they are their own influence in their life. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's them. One. Yeah. yeah. They have to want it. They have to want it. And, and is your purpose, is it a purpose or like where'd the origin come from? Yeah. With that? What's the origin to that? Yeah. Also, it, it has to be, and for people to give something up, it has to be repulsive. It has mm-hmm. to be to the point where it's like, I can't do that thing anymore because yeah. it doesn't align with, this is where I, I talk about goals and stuff too and why it's important to really have an intention and goals because if you review them, you get used to that, that's where you want to be. And if that thing doesn't align with that, that vibration or that goal that you want, and oh, yeah. one of them's going to take over, right? It's either going to be that thing or it's going to be your goal. So the, the clearer and the, the more you visit that, that vision, the less likely you're going to want to play in that lower vibrational addiction that most of these things are at, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which one feels better? Like actually, yeah. which one feels yeah. better? When I started going through my self-development and, you know, I, I, like I said, I got, I got bullied severely when I was about 29, 30 and I moved away because I was like, it's hurt me so bad that I didn't know who I was anymore. Mm. And before that, I felt I was a pretty outgoing, bubbly, like I am like I am now, but now I'm like 10 times what I was before because I went through such a shit experience more than I ever did in my life because it attacked my character, my Mm. integrity and who I was, that I had to question everything. And the only way I could do that and to self-soothe and to get what I needed for myself that I didn't know I needed was to leave everything behind everything I loved, everything that I thought I was attached to or needed, I left it. My friends, my family, my dog, everything, I left it because I needed that solitude and sanctuary of like, I don't know anybody in this town. I don't know one knows me. I didn't do anything, but my integrity and my character was attacked so bad that I felt like, fuck, what do I do now? Who am I? Or am I these things that people say about me or am I not? I don't know. It took yeah. me a full year and a half doesn't seem like a long time for someone it seems like an eternity for another like how does it take so long to figure yourself out because I had so many characters I had to play in my life for so many people I didn't know which one was mine (laughs) so many so many masks right yeah and and if you if you add in alcohol and stuff to that yeah the, the the healing takes a lot longer because you never actually heal. You're always covering up. And it's like that in a breakup too. The worst thing you can yeah. do is drink yourself in the breakup because you're not, allow- you got- you're not allowing yourself to feel what you need to feel yeah. in order to heal. You're just uh, feel what you feel. In order- <laughs> not like a fucking bumper sticker. Trademark that. <laughs> but, uh, you, you, but it's so true because the longer you put off the pain and resistance, the more it's just going to linger. Right? Oh. And, and stuff just pushes it off. So yeah. th- these things, like when you get bullied around, I mean, I, I got like, when I remember I got bullied when I was like, I moved to new schools across the country. I moved from Edmonton to Victoria and I went to this like skater school and it was like all a bunch of skater kids. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I got bullied hard. I come from like hockey preppy community, like whatever. 
And I got, you know, not a preppy community, but I mean, I was just like a well-dressed kid, like, you know, whatever went to it. And all these kids are like just neglected by their families. And it's just like a real fucking culture shock. And, and all these kids were just like, they just didn't like me at all. They were like, who is this preppy kid? Yeah. And I was like, whoa. And it was like, it was really bad. Cause it like before that I had all this confidence as a kid and that really crushed my confidence as a teenager for a few years. This was before alcohol and stuff, but you know, it's crazy when you look back in hindsight, you're like, huh, that was like, I would never want to be back in that situation. If somebody yeah. gave, I would never want to relive that feeling. No, never. It's terrible. And that's why these kids that get bullied. Oh man, I get so fired up. Like I just want to grab the parents and just, oh, <sighs> and allow these kids to bully these kids. Like I have no fucking tolerance for it. No, no, no. tolerance for bullying at all in any in any way online in person it's it's the worst thing you can do yeah oh it is it is and and oh i can't get fired up i can be like this is a movement (laughs) on this yeah kid totally and you know i am that that woman who will stand up i didn't used to be the one who would be like you're an asshole and this is this person does not deserve this that or whatever and let go and I'm not giving up my power and I'm not giving up my energy into theirs. I'm stating a point like this doesn't belong to anybody but yours. Take it back. Yeah. Got fired up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the energy. But there here's the thing too, right? That's I get fired up, but then also I go, okay, what you know, if you if you look at it like get curious a bit, like they're in pain. Yes, they are. So there's that fine line of they actually need help. Yeah. They need more help than the ones that are getting bullied, but the, you know, it's too, it's a weird, it's a weird situation. It's a weird dynamic. It's I a just weird don't, dynamic. I just, I just think it needs to be, there needs to be more, it needs to be taken more serious. And I think it is getting better, but some of these kids that I hear about these stories on there, and this is the thing growing up without social media was really amazing because if you could, you can step away from school and be away from that stuff. Like I, you know, in high school, we, we were, we were jerks sometimes, you know, like I, I feel like I wasn't personally, but we, I had friends that were jerks to people and, and whatever. And I look back and I go, shit. I was like, you know, to be able to back away from that and to escape that was great. Cause you could kind of get a fresh start. And, you know, we all yeah. had those days where like people, you do something stupid and then everybody's like on you and making fun of you for the day. And then you go home and whatever, you just regroup and forget about it. Right. Yeah. It's just high school. Yeah. But then you think about having a social media attached to that. It's like, you can never escape. It's like these little pricks are just constantly like poor on kids, you. like just got to constantly be hearing this or that. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's just like, you can't get away like you could before, you know? I just can't imagine that there's no escape none at all none at all and and the same thing is that these kids feel that if they're not on social media and a part of of it as well they have to know everything like I I couldn't imagine being like you know a celebrity or like something really really high one day and having and being young and having to read the shit that not only kids say about you but adults say about (laughs) you it's crazy it's crazy kidding me yeah well, adults are just growing up, just, just growing up damaged kids. Like, it's like they, they are, they are. And it's so sad. And I saw that a lot in hockey. Yeah. You, yeah. You know? It's, yeah. Oh, and the way it was back then, like when your brothers, how old are your brothers? 40 and 38. Oh my God. So I'm 36. 
you know, I'm an 83. So whatever, when it was, when our, we were playing back then, if you grew up in Saskatchewan, I grew up in Alberta, yeah. fucking coaches were hard asses. There was none of this like nice, nice stuff. It was like no, no participation medal. It was like hard. It was get up, you know, we used to skate till we puked at freaking nine years old in the, you know, go oh. out freezing cold minus 30. Like it was not nice back then, but no. here's the thing though is that it was challenging, but it shaped me who I am as, as well. It gives you a sense of toughness and resilience yeah. that I think now, although I don't agree with how things were back then, how people were treated and not, nor, but it did. I talked about this with Theo Fleury, actually, whose episode comes out soon. Talked about how there's a certain amount of toughness and resilience you get from that, that is going to be lacking now yeah. Yeah. that, we, you know, may not have been the most ideal thing, but man, did it install some like resilience oh. inside of me, mm -hmm. right? And, oh, for sure. You know, I, mm -hmm. I feel like that's super, super important in a way, you know? Even being a daughter of hockey, yeah. right? Like in our day, we grew up with so many, like now they're like NHL players or retiring from NHL. Like we, we saw the whole progression of what it took, like you said, the resilience and what it took to be, true in your craft I guess without apology yeah. and we took it seriously and even you know a daughter a hockey sister yeah the shit that I learned from that I may not have played hockey but I was there at 6 a.m especially yeah. February 16th every weekend in that long weekend in February my birthday was at a freaking hockey game at a hotel somewhere <laughs> yeah. I was 16 so uh, yeah. you know we were there right with you guys learning all yeah. these things and that taught me like loyalty dedication yeah. you know obligation you don't give up just because something else is happening in your life is it worth it to give it up now because you want to do something else that's more fun or whatever you're there for a job i think that also brought into my work ethic probably maybe yours as well is like oh, yeah it was teaching maybe not have to be in the sport but even just being around it yeah like, kudos to that in the 80s 90s 80s and i it was a tougher time and it's i know I, I it's always like everybody always says oh it was harder back then or whatever but it was a different time and you know what i'm grateful to grow up in that era and you know i'm grateful that i didn't have to deal with social media and all that crap mm -hmm. growing up and now you know it's it's part of life but it is what it yeah, is so it is yeah anyways i I'll, I'll take us on a whole rabbit hole tangent here so i better just kind of <laughs> circle it back here and wrap things up where can everybody find you and where's the best place to check out everything? Okay. So I got a lot going on specifically. If you want to work one-on-one -on -one with me, just hit me up on, on my Facebook, Karen B. Ritchie. Yeah. Hit me up on messenger and I'll, I'll connect you there. You can also contact me at emotionalcravingsacademy.com. I am going on tour with my new business partner in March, speaking on emotional cravings around Canada and parts of the U S that's it. That's awesome. What, that's what it is. That's yes. exciting. Yeah. Right on. We'll make sure everything's in the show notes. Everything will be nice and clear for you so we everybody can check you out. You also did a YouTube interview with Bobby, right? I did. He's one of my best friends. He's a he's Bobby. A, he's like, oh, I Bobby's one of the most amazing humans on the earth. Yeah. 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 Every time he takes his son, his, his newborn in a photo, my name comes up. So now I call him my Facebook father. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. That's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. My Facebook father, Bobby. Amazing. <laughs> well, there's always one last question I ask before we wrap it up. So what is one lesson that adversity has taught you? You know what? The very first 
thing that I could think of is to get out of your own shit. Don't sit in it for too long. Just move forward. Brush it off. It's going to take a while for you to understand the lesson maybe, but once you do, you're free. Move on. Yeah. Awesome. Feel it, understand it, move on. Yep. That's right. And address it if you have to. (laughs) Amazing. Hey, thank you very much. I was looking at the time. I had it like pushed to the side and I was like, holy shit, it's already been an hour and 10 minutes. So goodbye. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending some of your afternoon with me. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. No, it was great. We, you know, we dove in and brought the heat. So I, I appreciate it. And like I said, yeah, grateful to connect and hopefully everybody can come check you out. It'll be nice and clear for them. And yeah, wish you the best in 2020. Thanks. You too. Go get them. Thanks so much. Karen (laughs) V. Richie, everybody. Thanks everybody. If you got value from this, make sure to leave us a review, take a screenshot of the episode, tag us both on social media. Appreciate you. Texas to a friend, university of adversity. Love you guys. Have a great day. Catch you next time. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.